Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Chof Gimel. Um, we're going to go from the Gemara at the bottom of Chof Beis and with Beis. And just before we get there, just um, two interesting points from yesterday's shoe. One is I just um, I heard there's a we we learned yesterday about the remember there were the Baitusim who tried to kill kill who tried to mess up the Jews' calculations, the Chachomim's calculations of when uh, Rosh Chodesh would be. Um, so the one question is, and then there was a case where they actually paid two witnesses to uh, testify falsely that they saw the new moon. And the one witness was actually a good Jew, so he took it on so that he would let the, the Sanhedrin know that they were being paid to testify falsely. And remember, he gave that weird testimony. He saw the moon between the two mountains with ears and a tail and all weird things. Um, but then the Beisdin said he can keep the money. So firstly, what policy? how could Beisdin just take the money that was owed to him and give it to someone else? So there's a concept of Hefker Beisdin Hefker, that the Torah, there's two different sources for it, but the Torah gives power to Beisdin to take ownership of money. There's a, there are, I mean, there are a few questions in the technicalities of that power of Hefkin Beisdin Hefker, Hefker, Beisdin can declare something ownerless, the one, one of the main ones is, is it that they just make it ownerless and then the new person acquires it, or do they also make it ownerless and can give the property to who they want? Um, and they, okay, but that's, that's the concept of Hefker Beisdin Hefker. But there was a question asked to the Shus Yaakov. He said, someone, someone came before Beisdin and said, I paid this guy to testify falsely on my behalf. And he refused, he, he accepted the money, and then he didn't testify falsely. So I want him to pay me back. And that was actually, a, that was a case brought before the Shfus Yaakov. Does the, the guy who was paid to testify falsely, and he, does he have to return the money? And someone to bring from Al Kamora. We see that if you testify, for, if you paid to testify falsely, and you don't listen, then you still have to... Uh, to testify falsely. Oh, and you don't, and you accept the money and you don't testify falsely, you would not have to pay the money back. But he says he doesn't, the Shus Yaakov says he doesn't think that that's the halacha. He says our case was, uh, there's, there's reasons why Beisdin acted like that in our case. Firstly, to publicize and make a, make a big deal out of it. Look, you're trying to get the Sanhedrin to mess up on their testimony. You're going to actually confiscate all your money. It was the Baitusim who were harassing the Jews, so they took the opportunity to, uh, to stamp their foot down on this sort of behavior. But I just thought that was a very uh, interesting... I think you've got to have quite a lot of guts to go, to, go before the Basin and say, well, you know, if a, a, a week ago I paid someone to testify falsely and I want him to pay my money back. Okay, but that's what happened there. Um, an interesting thing that yeah, I also heard in the name of Rav Sternbach is that the, we see that the whole, the only reason we've given of why the Baitusim were so intent on messing up the Beisdin's uh, um, calculation of when Rosh Chodesh is, is so that second day, is so that Pesach falls out on Shabbos. Why do they want Pesach to fall out on Shabbos? Because they want the, the day of the bringing of the Omer to fall out on a Sunday. That's what they wanted. Now, and we said, why do they want that? Because they, they remember, they, the Baitusim don't rely on the Torah Sheba Alper. They don't rely on what's often referred to as rabbinic Judaism. They only rely on the Torah Sheba Sav. So it comes along 
the Chumash, what is the Chumash day? You will offer the Omer and start counting 50 days, etc. So they take it as from the day following Shabbos, literally on the Sunday. Whereas we have a drosha that Shabbos means Yom Tov. So on second day Pesach, that's why we always start counting the Omer on second day Pesach. But the Baitusim who read the Torah more, li- uh, who read it on and their understanding more literally, they said it must mean the Sunday. So they wanted to work out. And he brings the interesting, he says, why did that? <coughs> um, why did he make such a big deal about this? I mean, we know there are many halachas that the Baitusim don't line up with. Why is this the one where the Baitusim like took their stand and went to great lengths to mess up? And the Jewish people to mess up the Beis Din and their calculation on the new moon just for Mimocha He answers that what they were trying to do was show, show up the Beis Din. Show the Beis Din as cruel, harsh, over Machmir. He says that because if, if you start counting the Omer on Sunday, then Shvus is on a Sunday. So you get a double, you get a long weekend. You get Shavas and Sunday. Um, and he says, look, so, so we want to make sure, and the Torah gives you a long weekend. Every single year, the Torah gives you a long weekend. Shabbos and Shabbos, and then Sunday is Shavuos. And here the Rabbonin come along and make life difficult for us, take away our rest. And he says, and, and Rav Shkermach uses this, he says, and this we find is a general tendency on a lot of these movements to try paint the Torah Shebal Peh and the Xeras as out there to make our life difficult. Either Torah is pleasant and easy and then come along uh, Rabbonin and add all these Xeras and make our life difficult and harsh and machmir unnecessarily. Where do you see it in the Torah? Um, so that's, uh, he says that was, this was a key point in their ideology and their showing how uh, harsh and cruel uh, the Rabbonin were. So that's why this, they took a very strong stand uh, along those lines. Okay, yesterday we did the Mishnah. The Mishnah said that they would, um, and they used to wave beacons, and remember, and we'll see more. The, and then when the Baitusim took this as a used it to trick the rest of the when when Rosh Chodesh really was, then they went back to sending. They went to sending messengers. Um. Yeah, and then we asked, how do we know that Masiyad means making these beacons, making these torches? And we brought a pasuk from David. Okay, let's go from the fourth last line of Chof Beis Amud Beis, 22b. It says, They would only sanctif- use these beacons on a month that was sanctified in its time. A month that was sanctified in its time means that the Rosh Chodesh is on the 30th day as opposed to on the 31st day. So on a, if it's the Rosh Chodesh following the 29-day month, I on the 30th day, that's called Nirebama. So that was the, the only, those were the months that they would wave these beacons. Again, when Rosh Chodesh was on a, 20, when, when Rosh Chodesh was on the 30th day, Bizmano, of a Mosai Masin, when would they wave these these beacons? Laori Buro, on the night that would be its full the next Rosh Chodesh, either the following night, which is the 31st night. And remember, you have 29 days of the month. The first day is Rosh Chodesh. That's Bizmano or Choser. And then Laoribura would be the night that if it was a full month, that's when Rosh Chodesh would be. So that's when you light in the beacons. And it makes sense because remember, the Adim see the new moon 
on the night of the 30th. On the, they come to Beisdin on the day of the 30th. And they testify they saw the new moon. And beacons only work at night. So then they come. Uh, um, and that's, So then the following night. The, the Oribura. They light the. They. They, they light the beacons. Yeah. My timer. So we're saying clearly that they only light it on a. When Rosh Chodesh is on a, following a, a Chaser month. A 29 day month. And not when Rosh Chodesh is following a 30 day month. Says Omar what's the reason? So Omar Rabbi Zayrek Zayrek Mishum Rosh Chodesh Chaser Shel Shel Shechol Yois Be'erev Shabbos. He says the Zayrek is for a Rosh Chodesh Chaser. I a third when Rosh Chodesh is on the thirtieth day that falls out on Erev Shabbos. Amos Ofti, when would you wave the beacons? So he says, so he says, Afke Shabbos, maybe you'll say on Motse Shabbos. Now, if you're going to tell me, do it also on a Mole, Asulamitai, people will make a mistake. People will say, yes, they should have lit it yesterday, last night, which was. Shabbos, so that's impossible. Oidilma Molehu Bizman Avdol, maybe it's actually Mole and they did it in its right time. I said, that's why you can't lie for a Mole and Chaser, because again, if, if Rosh Chodesh falls out, if the 30th day falls out on Friday and they declare that day as Rosh Chodesh, on a Chaser month, they would wave the beacons on the Friday night. Well, but on the following night, which this year is a Friday night and you can't. And then the following night, Motzei Shabbos. If they wave the beacons on Motzei Shabbos, well, now people won't know. Are they waving them because it was a full month? And today, earlier on Shabbos, was Rosh Chodesh? Are they waving it because it's a, from Friday, which was a Chaser month? So people get confused. That's why you can't wave for Mole and Chaser. So Gemara says, Ah, the Levit Bain. Sorry, one second. Yeah. Sorry, so he's saying, so that's why you do it on a Chaser. He says, Ah, the Levit Bain, a Mole Bain, a Chaser. He says, Ah, but why don't you do it on both? Wave whatever length Rosh Chodesh the month was, whether it's a 30-day month, or a 20, whether, whether Rosh Chodesh is on the 30th day or the 31st day, always wave the beacons on the night following Rosh Chodesh. And when Rosh Chodesh of a, of a 30, on the 30th day falls out on an Erev Shabbos, don't wave at all. So again, the same scenario. The 30th day, which they made Rosh Chodesh, turns out on Friday. They can't wave on Friday night. And they can't, and don't wave, don't wave on Friday night and don't wave on Motzei Shabbos, and then everyone. But even the law of dinan Motzei Shabbos, of dinan the law of dinan Motzei Shabbos, since it it wasn't done on Motzei Shabbos. Sorry, even the law of dinan by Motzei Shabbos, Vav dinan Amolei, since generally wasn't waved, it wasn't waved on Rosh, on Motzei Shabbos, and they always wave also on full months. Maybe Yara the Chaser, who everyone will know that it must have been Chaser. Okay, in this month, we know Rosh Chodesh is either on Friday or Shabbos. They didn't wave the beacons on Motzei or Shabbos. Must be because it was a Chaser month. It was supposed to be waved on Friday night and they couldn't because you can't light fires on Friday night. 
So that's why we can't do it for both Chaser uh, and Mole. Sorry, so that's why, why don't we do it for both Chaser and Mole? So the Quran says, no, No, people still make a mistake. Omri, hi, Milo, hi, Mole, who, hi, Delo, Adi, Istanusu, ho. It's a nusay. He says, no, they were oina. He says, that everyone will think, wait, we need the beacons to be lit in. The mass spirit was a mole month, and the reason they didn't light the beacons is because they were oinas. Something happened that they couldn't light it. Rashi says, what's the oina? He says, they got carried away with their surah Shabbos and were a bit drink, a bit drunk. And then Matzah Shabbos, they weren't able to, uh, to wave their, uh, to, to remember to go up and uh, wave the beacons. So he says that's the that's the concert. So again, if you're doing it on a mole and a chaser, we've explained why we do it on a chaser. For the scenario where Friday is Rosh Chodesh, so you can't do it on Motzei on Friday night. So you do it on Motzei Shabbos, and everyone will know that it's going back on Friday because it's you only do it on chaser. Says oh, but why don't we do it on both mole and chaser? Says no, because then what happens on a um what we've just said is that. What happens again when Rosh Chodesh is on a Friday and then they don't light on Motzei Shabbos, people aren't going to jump to the conclusion that it's because it's a Choser month. That's why there are no beacons. People are going to jump to get confused and say, wait, maybe it is a Choser, maybe it is a Mole month and they should be lighting the, the beacons. But something happened that they weren't able to light them. So the Gemara says, Okay, final question. So fine. We've explained why you can't do it for both. We've said a reason why you should do it for Chos, but why not do it on a Mole month and not a Chos month? So Omar Abaya says the concern is for Bitu Malacha, people will lose out two days of work. Rashi explains amazingly, amazingly. You can, um, I think it just gives an insight into work ethic compared to what we used to. But Rashi says, what's the concern? Is if they always only waved on the night following a two-day Yom Tov, then they would, uh, uh, following a two-day Rosh Chodesh, for, sorry, following a long Rosh Chodesh. If they only waved on the night following a long Rosh Chodesh, for Rosh Hashanah, the people would always have to t- keep two days Rosh Hashanah. Because remember in the exile, in the Golas, we don't know whether the 30th day is made Rosh Chodesh or the 31st day is made Rosh Chodesh. If they're always waving the beacons on the night following the 31st, then in the Golas, they're always going to have to keep the 30th day as Rosh Hashanah and the 31st day of Rosh Hashanah as Rosh Hashanah, two days a year. And you're always going to have to keep those two years instead of one day because... If they would wave for a chaser, well, I mean, since they do wave for a chaser, when they're going to wave the beacons? On mots, on the night following the 30th day. So the, th- the Jews will keep the 30th day, I Rosh Chodesh Tishrei, as Rosh Hashanah. Then that night, they will wave the beacons, and the Jews will know they kept Rosh Hashanah, and then they can work the next day. But, if you always did it on a mole, they would have to keep the 30th day as Rosh Hashanah, the 31st day is Rosh Hashanah, and then the beacons would, would or would not be waved, and they would know, oh, either the first day was Rosh Hashanah or the second day was Rosh Hashanah. So Rashi says, because of that concern, because of that concern, they changed it to, um, they they said you always wave on a chaser. Now, I, I found that amazing that Rashi is saying to save every, um, every year, 
to save an extra day of work, to say we can't stop people working an extra day unnecessarily, and therefore we have to um, um, therefore we have to do it always on a chaser. Okay, so we've explained the three possibilities. I mean, it's do it on a chaser, do it on a mole, and do both. We've explained why you can't do both. Because then on a Shabbos, when you don't do it, because Rosh Chodesh was on Friday, people are going to think, wait, was it because um, it, was on, it was supposed to be waived, it was a 30-day Rosh Chodesh, or, or was it because the people who are supposed to wave the beacons drank too much at Shabbos lunch and forgot to do it on Monday Shabbos? Or, so that's the one. Why don't we do it on a mole? Because you're going to do bit or malacha. You're always, they're always going to have to keep two days Rosh Hashanah. And therefore you're always costing one day of work a year. Um, so that's the thing. And therefore we always do it on a chaser. Tosos here also say we don't have to go that far to say it's only because of saving Rosh Hashanah. He says, um, this is Tosos Divra Maskil Mishum. He says, Piresh Bakuntras. Ein lecho Rosh Hashanah she'ein mevatlin. Rashi, Perish Bukuntras, Tosos always is referring to Rashi, says that um, the Bnei Gola would always lose out two days of work for Rosh Hashanah. But if you always wave the beacons on the Choser, then they would know that on the 31st day they can do Melochot the day after Rosh Hashanah. And then Tosfos say, this is Tosfos' opinion, Rashi's pushing to explain it as Rosh Hashanah for nothing. Because He says, no, it's actually going on Rosh Chodesh. Many had the minak to not do Melacha on Rosh Chodesh. Okay, then he brings some of his sources, um, and therefore you're actually causing people to miss out two days of work Every month, not just once a year and only makes a difference once every few years. It's actually every single month. Um, and that's what, um, about halfway, two-thirds down of Tosis, he says, this is an interesting minak, I don't know, um, I haven't heard of people be careful with it, but I, I, it's brought in Shulchan Aruch and stuff, but, Hashem added a Yom Tov to the woman, because the woman weren't involved in the eagle. And therefore, um, he says, yeah, the men had to take off. When the men wanted the jewelry to make the eagle, they had to take it from the woman. They couldn't. And therefore, Hashem gave women the Yom Tov of Rosh Chodesh. And there is a special thing of Rosh Chodesh. Women don't do work. And some nowadays do a bit less work or do something special on Rosh Chodesh. But that's the source that Rosh Chodesh is actually... Many, some had the minag to not work, and there seems to be an even stronger halacha, a special aspect of Rosh Chodesh for, uh, as a yomta for women, that they work, work less. Okay, let's go on in the Gemara. It says, how would they wave these beacons, etc.? So, Omar of Yehuda, and it says, take Erez poles. So, Omar of Yehuda, there are four types of cedar. It seems that the word cedar, Erez, is often translated as cedar wood, but it's also a generic term for a specific type, for types of, for, I don't know, a category of trees. What are the four? Erez, Katrob, Eitz, Shemen, Uvarosh. Eitz, sorry, Eitz, Shemen is one, many translated as Pan. Um, katrum, what's Katrum? So, Amar of Adra. Rab said it's Adra. The Vey Rebbe Shila Amar Mavliga. 
This, this that there are only four types of errors is arguing on Rav Huna. Rabba Baravuna, Dama Rabba Baravuna, Omri Bay Rab, they said in the issue of Rabba, Soramine Arozim Haim. There are actually ten types of cedar. Shenemar, as the Posok says, Ate Bemidbar, I will put in the desert for you. Eres, Shita, the Hadas, the eight Shemen, Hadas is the myrtle, the eight Shemen. Oshim ba'aravo barosh tidharfet usa'ashur yachtov. So yachtov, all those types of trees. And now the Gemara is just going to translate it into Aramaic for them. So Eres is Arza, what we would say is often translated as Sira. Shita turnisa, some say that's pan. Hadas is the asa, the myrtle. Eitz shemen, a parsimer we translate as balsam. Barosh is barta, that's often translated as a cypress tree. Tidhar is shaga, that's teak. Tashur Shurivna is uh, I'm not sure what type of tree that is. So all these different trees. Yeah, I should just make the disclaimer when we do translate these things, it's uh, as best as we can because remember we don't have a good translation. We're not necessarily aware what the, when the Torah says words what it's referring to. A very practical and common example where we see this confusion is by Tchelis. We know it's from the Chilazon worm or Chilazon snail. Which animal, which creature is the chilazon that you make your trailers from? There's one that's becoming very, very widely accepted. But up until recently, there were at least three opinions of what uh, chilazon, what it was. So that, uh, so that I thought, so similar whenever animals also, we have a list of 24 birds in Vayikra that are the non-kosher birds or the non-kosher species. Again, to tra- we have translations for them, but how accurate the translations are is always uh, a little bit skept- uh, a, lo- a little bit up in the air. Different Rishonim translated as different birds. Do we know what they're actually referring to? Um, but yeah, so just a disclaim on how I translated all these words. Honey, Shiva, have the Gemara asked, but wait, you told me there's ten types of cedar. This pasuk only listed seven. So Kios Aravdimi Omar Oisifu Aleim Alunim Almunim and Almogin. There's actually three more to add to that list. And what are alun, these three? It says alunim is butmi, almunim is baluti. We often translate that as oak tree, and almugin is kesita coral. Ikita omri arunim armunim almugin. Arunim is ori, armunim is dulvi, and almugin kesisa. Okay, so it's a little bit of discussion. What are those three? Now we're just going to once we've mentioned um, these this coral. Coral actually isn't really wood. It's the it's formed in the oceans. I think some creatures I don't know what they do, but somehow they make it grow. And it kind of grows in the sh- it's kind of not grows. It doesn't grow, but it's kind of built in the shape of trees. So they call it a tree. But it seems I don't know nowadays, but it was used as kind of like a wood to make jewelry and uh, and certain utensils. So we're going to just discuss it. It says, This mighty ship or this gallant ship won't be able to pass. Saying in the days of Mashiach, remember a trickle of water will flow out of the Kodesh HaKadoshim and each stage it will grow bigger and bigger and bigger until even this very strong large ship can't pass through the river that flows from the Kodesh HaKadoshim. So Amar Zuburni Gedola, that's referring to a great ship. Hey, of Dusa, how would they get the coral? Says my so she's Alpha Gabri betrayed Yarchi or she's um Shasa. They would get six thousand men to work for a year. The Omri law Tracer Alpha Gavre Bashis Yarchi or some say that it was twelve thousand men to work for six months. 
v'tani lochala ad the shachna. They would fill, take this boat, put it in the middle where the coral was, and fill it up with sand. So that's the labors, getting the sand from the shore, rowing it back, filling this ship. Full, and they would fill this huge ship with um, with sand. V'noch is ba. At the shochna until it rested on the seabed. Obviously, the sides of the ship were very high so that the water wouldn't flow in, but it would go be pushed down and rest on the seabed, the seabed, or the riverbed. Yeah, they would take ropes. Divers would dive in, take ropes, tie it to the coral and tie it to the ship. And then they would throw all the sand overboard. Will come at the madly and as the ship starts to float back up, it uproots, it pulls up the coral with it. Coral is so valuable they could sell its its weight in silver at two times the value of silver. Tlasparvosa Havin, and there were three ports, Tarti Bayomai, two in some Aramean land, Vachada de Bay Porsai, and one by Persia, the Bayomai Maskun Kesita in the Aramean ones, they would raise coral. The Bay Parsai, Maskin Marganisa, and from the Persian ones, they would get pearls. Umakre Parvasa, the Mashmahik. This port in the per- or this Persian port was called Mashmahik. Okay, I'm not sure all the significant, not sure any of the significance. Obviously, there's some value to it, but I'm not sure why the Gemara brings it. Amrabi Yochan, Arabi Yochan says, Kol Shita Vishita Shinotra Nochrabi Vishraim. Every single. Um, tree, beam that the Nochrim took from every single tree, that the, or palm tree that the Nochrim took from Yerushalayim, Atud HaKadosh Baruch in the future, Hashem Lahachziron will return them to it. Shenemar, as the Pasuk says, Etein Midbar Eres Shita Vain Midbar Ele Yerushalayim, and we know nowadays Yerushalayim is referred to as a Midbar. Shenemar says, Sion Midbar Hoiso. Sion was made into a desert. For Omer Yochan and Kol made now we see some Musar from it. Anyone who learns Torah and doesn't teach it, he's similar to someone, to a myrtle in the in the desert. The criticism here is a myrtle is a very beautiful tree and it has a beautiful fragrance. So Tamur Chochum, someone who learns Torah but doesn't teach it, he's like wasting all that beauty, the Torah. Yeah. Ikat um, Omri Islam had a slightly different version. There's another version that anyone who learns Torah and teaches it in a place where there aren't other Talmidei Chachamim, he's comparable to a myrtle in the desert, which is very precious. There's no one else to teach Torah there. So he, the Talmud Chacham is the myrtle, and by teaching the Torah, that's... Uh, that's the Hadas, the extremely valuable myrtle in the desert, because it's so rare. Woe to the Oivdei Kochavim, who don't have a solution in the future. So the non-Jews will have to, in the future, they'll be trying to pay back the Jews for all the... Soros they've given them, and they'll pay copper in place of gold that they took and um, and in place of the iron, they'll bring silver, etc. All these va- items more valuable. But how are they going to replace Rabbi Akiva and his colleagues? The great Rabbi Akiva and 
and many other Jews that they've murdered. It says, who and therefore regarding them it says, they'll pay back with their blood, but it won't, it won't pay the vengeance that's owed to them. Okay, so that's the severity of the non-Jews who uh, have harassed and killed Jews over the centuries. Man ho you may see my source, the Gemara is now going to give the list of places where they used to take uh, um, light the beacons. Remember, they would light the beacons on one mountain, and then the person, another person on the following mountain would see it and light it, and then a following mountain all the way to, as we'll see, to Pumpadissa. So he says, my base built in. Where is base built in? On Maravzu Biram, that's Biram. It seems Biram was one of the cities furthest in, well, I guess furthest on the edge of Eretz Israel, Looking to Babel. It says, My Goyla, when it says the exile, what's it referring to? Amar Yosef, Zu Pumpadisa, this is referring to Pumpadisa. Pumpadisa was one of the main Jewish set. Again, the Jews also in Babel moved a little bit their main settlements, but one of the early main settlements in Babel was Pumpadisa. So this is where the, they would light the beacons leading to Pumbadissa. Micah Maduras Ace, that what does it mean that once they reached Pumbadissa, everyone would go onto the roofs and light fires and it would look like a bonfire? It says, Guess this was to publicize Rosh Chodesh, and as we saw in Tosos, Rosh Chodesh has an aspect of a yomtiv, so maybe this was part of the making it a big deal. But from the last mountain to Pumbadissa, when, when people in Pumbadissa would see that beacon lit, they would all take a torch up onto their roof and light it and and therefore when you looked over Pumpadisa on Rosh Chodesh you just saw hundreds and hundreds of candles. Tanya Rabbi Shimon Elazar adds in cities, adds in mountains where they would light beacons. He says Af and the surrounds of Godir. Now, some say that these were positioned between the other mountains. I, the list in the Mishnah of all the places where they light beacons is not comprehensive. And some have the version. They're not arguing, but remember, there are multiple paths from Eretz Israel into Babel. So the one is counting one row of beacons that would take you to guess one side of Babel, and the other one's counting a different row of beacons that would take you to a different side of Babel. So they just different paths that beacons were lit along. Between each beacon was thirty was eight parsos, so altogether it was thirty-two. But don't we say now the distance between Eretz Yisrael and Babel is, or, yeah, is, much, or from, is much more than 32 parsot. It says, The paths got crooked and distorted. I will hedge their, their paths with thorns. So it's, it's, I don't know if this is literally, it would have to go more roundabout. To get from Israel to Babel, so that's why nowadays it's further. Well, spiritually, after the destruction, it became further. But yeah, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, Rav Nachman Yitzchak says it's from the following passage: my paths became crooked, or maybe it's a yeah. So by sight, it's much closer, but by traveling, what's the phrase they use? As the as the bird, as the crow flies, as the crow flies. So that's saying the direct distance. How far is that? But often when you're traveling, then you have to go around the mountains and 
weave a little so it's, it's a much further distance. Okay, let's go on to the next Mishnah. Very interesting Mishnah. says, Chotzer. So remember, you have these Jews traveling from wherever they saw the new moon to the base of Migdash to testify that they've seen the new moon. And if it's Shabbos, one of the key things this Mishnah is going to address, if it's Shabbos, you run into trouble. Because Allah is, we know you're not allowed to travel more than 2,000 Amos outside your Shabbos zone. For, the, for Kiddush HaKodesh to sanctify the new moon, we learned in the last, towards the end of the last period, you are allowed to break Shabbos. You're allowed to go outside the Tchum to get to Yerushalayim to testify. But the halacha is, if a person leaves his Tchum, he's not allowed to move more than four Amos from where he is. And where there's a leniency, okay, if he's in a Chotzer, if he's in a courtyard, then he can move around that, the walls of that Chotzer, make it as if he's in 2000, uh, if the whole Chotzer is his 2,000 Amos, but he's restricted to that area because he left his Tchum. So now the Gomorrah on, the, the Mishnah explains, Chotzer Yerushalayim, there was a great Chotzer in Yerushalayim, Ubeis Yazak, Nikres, it was called Beis Yazak. All the Adim who saw the new moon would gather there and the Bayesian would, in, would interrogate them over there. They would make huge feasts for them so that they were happy and accustomed to come. You know, like when you want people to attend the Shiri, you want people to come out of their houses, you have to say refreshments will be served. Or people choose their shield based on the bracha. So they made sure that there was good food so that people would, I mean, travel that. They would go, I mean, they're missing Shabbos with their family to go and testify about the new moon. So you've got to make it pl- uh, special for them and therefore they would set up huge su'udos. Initially, they weren't allowed to leave there the whole, ma- the whole day. Again, they arrive Shabbos sometime during the day. They have to stay in the courtyard because once you've left your trum, you're not allowed to move more than four hours. Instituted, they know they're allowed to walk 2,000 Amos in all directions. Aye, it's their new Tchum, it's considered a new Mokom Shabbos. He says, It's not limited to these people. Also a midwife, who goes to help give birth. People who come to help save others from fire, firemen. Or min hagayas, or security from bandits or rob, uh, soldiers or from a flooding river or from a ruin a building collapsed and people go to rescue they're treated as and they're allowed to travel 2,000 amos in all directions again this is all to encourage and motivate these people and make them go without hesitation imagine you tell a fireman yeah you've got to go help them put out that fire but what, as soon as the fire is out you're stuck where you are and you're not allowed, not allowed to move more than two meters he's, he's going to be reluctant to go he doesn't want to be stuck in a small square area for the whole of shabbos and so to a woman you tell her you know you're a midwife you're needed you've got to go and she, then she goes and then she gets stuck where she is She's not going to want to go. So to make it more pleasant for them, they, Rabbi Gamliel instituted that they, these people have gone for this for these mitzvah. They're a, when they get a new trum where they did the mitzvah. Okay, the Gemara says, Is it Beisiyazak or Beisiyazak? So, Beisiyazak, um, so Beisiyazak Tanan. If you want to tell me that it's Beis Yazeik, says Lishna Ma'al Yehu. It's a positive. As it says, Vayaz Kehu Vayasaklehu. He um, ringed it round and uh, cleared it of stones. 
So it's they they were in a safe area in this courtyard. That's why it's called Beis Yazek. Just all deal with Beis Yizok to unleash the Tsar, or maybe it's Yizok has the connotations of a prison. To get his it says, but who also by Zikim he chained them, he tied them in chains. So Omar Abaya Toshma Abaya says, I'll prove it to you. Gedolos Ho Yoisen Ohem Shom Kadesh Yu Regilim Lovo. Says no, so it's it's a very good thing. It's 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 uh, it's protection, it's safety, it's security, it's pleasantness. Beis Yazek, because there were great meals there, so it was nice. He says, Dil Matarti Behu. Says no, maybe both affected them. Maybe on the one hand it was unpleasant because they were confined to that area, and it could be called Beis Yizok. And on the other hand, it was very nice because of the delicious refreshments that were served. So it could be called Beis Yazek. Okay, let's go on to the next Mishnah. This Mishnah discusses the interrogation of the Adim, the sort of questions they asked um, to verify that the Adim did see the new moon and they test telling the truth. Remember, the Sanhedrin pre-calculated when the moon would be visible and where you would see it based on the astro- astronomical calculations. Um, and therefore, they could ask questions that would tell very clearly whether maybe they saw the old moon, maybe they saw some discuss what they could have seen, but they saw some sort of light, a shooting star, or something like that, that they, and they didn't realize that it wasn't the moon. No, I guess not a shooting star, but that's the, uh, um, but they saw something that might not have been, so they asked these questions. So just to go through a few of the important uh, astronomical factors that will help us understand the questions, is remember the new moon is visible, but the new moon. So this is right at the beginning of the month. The new moon is rises shortly after sunrise and sets shortly after sunset. Right, so in a way, it looks like it's following the sun through the sky. Obviously, it's not visible during the day because the sun's too bright for such a small moon to be visible. But that's how it moves. Um, now, in the northern hemisphere, the and, and this is why we look for north-facing. But in the northern hemisphere, they have to get south-facing apartments. Because the sun, when it goes from east to west, it doesn't go in a straight, a straight line over. If you're above the equator, it tilts to the south. If in the southern hemisphere, where we are, the sun tilts to the north. So at midday, the sun's not directly, directly above you. The sun is in the middle of the sky. But it, again, in South Africa, it will be a bit to the north in in uh, Israel, I mean, that's the important one, it will be a bit to the south. So remember, if the sun has just set, so, so, so it kind of moves up into the sky, southward, and then when it's from midday onward, it's moving down out of the sky, but a little bit to the north. So if, and if the moon's following that, then at sunset, the moon's going to appear a little bit to the north of where the sun is. If you picture that in your mind, that the moon's following the sun, and the sun's just setting in the um, in the west, the 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 moon is a little bit to the south of the west um, at that point. Yeah, and then just one other important point: the the moon. Remember, the moon's light is reflecting the sun, so the curve. Is or uh, the the con the the whole of the moon, the whole of the crescent is always facing away from the sun, and just again depending on exactly where the sun is, 
in relation to the moon will be where the points of the crescent face. Okay, so now the mission will be a lot more straightforward after that introduction. It says, This is, yeah, Rashi, if, if you look, it's a long Rashi explaining this. So he says, How would they, what, how would they in, in, investigate the witnesses? They'd go firstly by the order that the, the first set of witnesses that arrived first, they would be interrogated first. And they would obviously start with the elder of the witnesses. And they'd say to him, How did you see the Levona? Was it before the sun? I said him before the sun, or was it following the sun? Did it appear to be a little at, at sunset? Did it appear to be a little bit to the north or a little bit to the south? Remember, we know that it, they, it should have appeared to the south. How big was the moon? Try to give us a description of how fat it was. Which way did it lean? Which way were the points facing? How wide was it? Sorry, is how high above the horizon was it when the sun sets? And which way did it lean? And how wide was it? So, we know if they said that the moon was ahead of the sun, the moon set and then the sun set, they're talking nonsense because they're actually speaking about the, well, not talking nonsense, they didn't see the new moon because they're speaking about the old moon. Then they would interrogate the second witness. If their words line up, then their edus is accepted. The rest of the pairs, remember, you could have a few different groups of people who had come in to had seen the new moon and come to testify. You just ask them the main points. Why? Not that we needed them. The testimony already worked with the first pair that was accepted as valid. So that they don't leave the press. And so that they would normally come. Imagine, you again, similar to why they have to make great feasts. But imagine you, sh- you slept Yerushalayim to testify about the new moon. And then they tell you, sorry, thanks, we don't need you. So you'd feel kind of like despondent and you're not, oh, says next time there's a new, I see the new moon, I'm not going to bother. But they want people to bother because you never know who's going to see it and how many people. So they want people to come and testify about the new moon. So they would make sure to ask everyone questions so that everyone felt like they were needed and essential to the process. Okay, let's leave it there for today. And we'll continue with the Gomorrah tomorrow.